continue in our sermon series on healing. We're using the six healing stories in the Gospel of Matthew that are one right after the other that directly follow Jesus' preaching of the Sermon on the Mount. We find ourselves today, of course, experiencing another healing that Jesus had. And this is what happens. It's the story is right after the calming of the storm that we read about last week, and this is what happens next. I can find it. Oh, there we are. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demoniacs coming out of the tombs met him. They were so fierce that no one could pass that way. Suddenly, they shouted, What have you to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a large herd of swine was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, If you cast us out, send us into the herd of swine. And Jesus said to them, Go. So they came out and entered the swine, and suddenly the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. The swine herders ran off and went into the town and told the whole story about what had happened to the demoniacs. Then the whole town came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. And after getting into the boat, he crossed the sea came to his own town. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Join us in this time, O God, in this space, in the air we breathe, these moments we share together. By the presence of your Holy Spirit, be present with us. Be present with us as you continue to mold us and shape us and call us back out into the world. Join us in this time. We pray in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. That is a crazy story. That story is filled with crazy from start to finish. It is a nutty, weird, awkward, crazy, we don't get it story. The demons are crazy. The pigs go crazy. Villagers get crazy. Everybody gets crazy. I love it. Love this story. And I almost don't have the foggiest clue what it is about this story, but I just, I love it. It's just, it is nuts. Scholars widely agree that it is one of, if not the most baffling story in all of the Gospels, this story we just read. Did it really happen? Oh, don't know. 
Do we know where it happened? No, don't really. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story, and they have it happening in different places. So we don't know if it happened, where it happened, and what's with the pigs? What's that all about? And what about Matthew using two demoniacs instead of just one, like Mark and Luke? Why two? What's up with the two? What's going on? It's a crazy story. Actually, those last two questions, though, we have some answers for. The pigs, we say, the pigs are there as a sign that we've now just entered the land of the Gentiles. They crossed over the sea, and the pigs are evidence that we're now in Gentile territory. Pigs, you know, Jews don't have, have no need of pigs. They just don't deal with pigs. So we know we're in, that's what the pig, and the spirits go into the pigs because pigs were thought of as unclean. So you have what's unclean going into what's unclean. Okay, that makes sense. And, and, and so why does Matthew use, tell about two? Well, the reason Matthew tells about two instead of just one like the other Gospels is because Matthew kind of has a flair for the dramatic. He tends to double things up when he's wanting to emphasize something. It's not the only place Matthew does it. But, you know, what could be better than one demon-possessed person? Two, that's better emphasizes by doubling up. So it's got a flair for the dramatic. But did it happen? When we were traveling in Israel recently with the group from the church that went, we were driving along the sea or around the Sea of Galilee and we went through the area where it's believed that this event took place. And I remember the you know, the tour guide pointed up into the, said, well, there's caves and tombs up in there, and you can, and I remember looking up in, into it and saying to myself, yeah, I could see a couple of crazy people hopping around up in there. It just is kind of nutty up in there. And, but did it happen? We don't, who knows, right? But that's not really the question that grabs hold of that's not the question that hangs on my heart. No, the question that grabs me is the question that comes up in the story itself. Jesus and the disciples have crossed the sea, and here they're in a, walking along, and two possessed, crazy, messed up people come up to him. And what do they say? They say, what have you to do with us? That's the question that, that gets at me. What have you to do with us, Jesus? What have you to do with me, God? You ever ask that one? What have you to do with me? Why are you bothering me? Just leave me alone. If you've been reading Matthew from the very beginning, you're about ready to ask that question by now. You may not realize it, though, yet, but if you've reading, been reading from the beginning and you've gotten to this, you're ready to ask that question. You start off at the beginning of Matthew in chapter 1 with this long list of names, this genealogy, and 
Matthew just about loses you with this long list. Well, this one to that one, and that one goes to this one, and this one comes from that one, and you're just about dead by the time you get to the end of chapter 1. And yet then, that's when Matthew launches into this gripping tale of the birth of Jesus Christ where the family barely escapes the clutches of Herod as they flee to Egypt, and you're sitting on the edge of your seat saying to yourself, Oh, good gosh, I hope he makes it. They make it. Of course they do, and then Matthew jumps ahead to when Jesus is all grown up, sends him out in the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil, and you're reading this stuff going, man, this is intense. On the edge of your seat one more time, saying, I hope he gets through this one too. He's going to make it. Jesus gets through that one and starts his ministry, and that's when you say to yourself, okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting rolling. And what does Jesus do? He comes up on the edge of a hill and gives a long speech. The Sermon on the Mount, basically a huge, massive information dump of all kinds of advice and info and things about faith and the kingdom of God and blessed is this one who does that, blessed is that one, and, and no one can serve two masters and do this, but don't do that, and don't worry about your life, and on and on, and this and that, and fills your mind to overflowing with information on, on faith and all kinds of things, and and then right when your mind is just about overfilled with stuff, he comes down from the hill and starts these healings that we've been reading through in the past weeks, these six, you know, and he starts off with a, a leper, an outsider. So you say to yourself, okay, I get it, I think. This, the gospel is about going to those on the outside. Okay, but it doesn't stop there. It goes right to another outsider in the healing of the centurion servant. You're like, okay, I get it. Got it. I'm good. Outsiders, I get it. Doesn't stop there. It keeps going. Goes on to Peter's mother-in-law, another outsider type. Yes, I get it. I understand, okay? It's about going to those and welcoming those on the... I get it. But it doesn't stop. It keeps going with twist and turn and here and there and this and the... Lake, we get on the lake and this big storm arises and the disciples become afraid and Jesus comes up and says, you of little faith, why are you afraid? And you're sitting there as the reader saying to yourself, well, it's because there's a storm on the boat. I'd be afraid too. What is this? You're starting to really wonder what all this is about as this gospel story at this point starting to seep into the depths of who you are and actually has expectations of you and that's when the question gets asked, what have you to do with us, Jesus? And you're saying to yourself, yeah, didn't mean to ask that question myself. What have you to do with us? What have you to do with me, God? The villagers, support that same way of thinking. When they come in at the end of the story and they see what happens, what's happened, and what do they say? Move on. Go to another neighborhood. Why are you coming in here and messing up this really nice thing we got going? We've labeled these guys and sent them out to pasture. We've taken care of them. They fend for themselves. We're here. They're there. It's good. Now you've got to come in and mess the whole thing up. Why don't you just leave us alone? This whole entire story is about being bothered. 
demons are bothered, villagers are bothered. We, the readers at this point, are now really starting to get bothered. It's about being bothered, and that's the point. Just at the time when we're starting to get bugged by this gospel, Matthew drops in this disruption of a story. Matthew's way of telling us that the healing hands of Jesus Christ often feel like a disturbance at first. Last week, the disturbance was external, it was a storm. Jesus comes up and says, fear not in the external disruptions, have faith. This week is not about an external disruption, but an internal one. It's about what's going on in, in here, in our heads. culprit of this disruption is nothing short of Jesus Christ himself. When preaching on this same story, a preacher by the name of Bill Self referred to Jesus as the disturber. Jesus the disturber, he said. And he goes on, he went on to <clears throat> talk about how we missed the point if we take this question from the demons as something that's coming simply from a couple of crazy people with whom we have nothing in common, that's what the villagers do after all. They come in with their assumptions and they say, we've labeled them, we've got it all, we've got some, they're over here, we're over here, we make, we've got, we know what they're all about, and make their assumptions. It seems the demoniacs are not the only ones in need of healing in this story. For our own biases can be a powerful demon. They keep us from loving people the way God does. They keep us from seeing people the way God sees them. Quite often, it's a story like this that disrupts things and Minded. Whether we like it or not, that it can sometimes be in the disruptions we experience in life where we also see the hand of God hard at work, clearing our minds, freeing us from ourselves, healing us. On occasion, I've talked about how years ago I was in high school and been on into college at the time when my grandfather used to <clears throat> go to Huntsville Maximum Security Prison down in Huntsville, Texas, once a month to lead a chapel service there for the prisoners on death row. And I will never forget how he talked about it the first time he was invited to do it and how he kind of felt about it. He didn't, what he, what he said, he didn't know what to think, really. In fact, he said things like, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. I'm not sure what to tell those people. All I know to do is just, I'll go tell them a Bible story and try not to judge them. 
But after years of doing that every single month, his demeanor began to change. His posture began to shift on what was happening there in the prison. And I'll never forget one night in particular when we were at our house and he and my grandmother were visiting and they were staying with us and we sat down and we were starting to watch this movie. I still remember the movie. It's a, an older movie called Murder in the First. You remember Murder in the First? It's about a prisoner in Alcatraz that, that by his treatment becomes more hardened over time. And it's a story about that. And when my, I will never forget when my grandfather realized what this movie was about. He immediately stood up and he says, I don't need to watch this movie. He said, okay, well, we can do something else. I don't need to watch this. I don't need to see something about how the people, how they're mistreating my people. That's what he said. I'll never forget it. My people. Not, not those people. My people. And that's when I knew something had changed. That's when I knew that it could be nothing short of Jesus Christ. It disrupted my grandfather's life. And to, to clear his mind, set him free from himself as he sent his former way of thinking out into the sea. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is to be open to a God who does that very thing with us. Bill Self, again, puts it so well. He says, my own faith reminds me that Christ calls my thinking and my values into question every single day. He's a disturbing presence in my life, and I'll confess sometimes I wish he'd just leave me alone. <laughs> and yet it is with stories like this one in the Gospel of Matthew that we are reminded that it is in those times where our lives are disturbed that we find the hand of God hard at work setting us free clearing our minds he comes to heal after all to free us from ourselves and to hold our hands